Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I am your aptly named host and the pod father of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with us. I'd bear the pain of noctilbuminuria if you dampened my spirits with the idea that you missed this week's show. Here's our associate producer, Kate, with the highlights. Hey, Tony. This week it's misinformation and disinformation. Amy Sample Ward returns with their insights into what to do about these maladies plaguing our world. They reveal smart internal tactics to reduce the odds of your nonprofit's info being misused by bad actors, what to do if it is, how to avoid your org itself being a source of misinformation, and a lot more. They are CEO of N10 and our technology and social media contributor. On Tony's Take Two. December Good Wishes. We're sponsored by DonorBox. Outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity this giving season? DonorBox, the fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising platform for nonprofits. DonorBox.org. Here is misinformation and disinformation. It's always a pleasure to welcome Amy Sample Ward back to Nonprofit Radio. You know who they are, for Pete's sake. Nonetheless, they deserve the proper introduction, of course. CEO of N10 and our technology and social media contributor. They were awarded that 2023 Bosch Foundation Fellowship from just this past summer. And their most recent co-authored book is The Tech That Comes Next with Afua Bruce about equity and inclusiveness in tech development. They're still at amysampleward.org and at Amy R.S. Ward. Welcome back, Amy. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm, I appreciate Always. an intro that doesn't list the number of years or episodes I've joined <laughs> on Nonprofit Radio. That always makes me <laughs> take take a bit of a pause. Well, we regale you on the uh, anniversary shows, <laughs> each, right? Each July, we're coming yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. This uh, next July will be the 700th. Wow. But only then will we remind yes, folks okay, that, uh, of fair. which show you began in. Yes, I can accept these terms. Close listeners will remember, but uh, but the others who may not remember, you'll have to wait till the 700th show yeah. to learn uh, what Amy's first show was. All yes. right. So we're talking about uh, misinformation, disinformation. Why don't we just start with a basic explanation yeah. of what the differences are between yeah. Miss, miss and dis. Yeah, I appreciate starting at the beginning because I do see, especially in this, you know, world of tweet or Instagram sized language where people kind of write miss slash disinformation, but they're not interchangeable. No, they mean they're not. very no. different things. Yeah. And yeah. the implications for your organization or even the potential that your staff do one of these things is very, very different, right? Um, a good way to remember it is misinformation is a mistake. So misinformation is you or a staff person or a community member even saying the wrong thing. You know, they said 73% instead of 37% or something where it doesn't have 
an intentional agenda, right? It's yeah, not yeah. it's not created or distributed as a way of trying to um, do something, whether nefarious or just, you know, against what you're trying to do. Um, and misinformation, unfortunately, like we can still talk about this, is something we, we need to think about as organizations, especially when we think about um, trying to have staff out in the community, um, being present, sharing their thought leadership, all of these places. We are humans. We do make mistakes. We do say 73 instead of 37, right? But that means we just maybe just said that to, you know, and we're here um, at a big donor recognition event and we say the wrong percentage and all those people then they want to be informed. They want to look like they know things. So then they repeat the same wrong stat, right? So it is something we want to think about. Um, and there's some tactics for making sure staff have all of those resources um, to fact check themselves and to share things. But I think the more concerning one of these two is disinformation. Um, and that's not to say that your staff don't intentionally or unintentionally create um, or, or participate in disinformation, but especially want to talk about what it looks like for your organization's images, content, data, website, etc., to be used as part of someone else's disinformation campaign. Um, and that means, again, people who are creating or sharing or distributing uh, information with the intention that it is, you know, going to change people's mind and that they know that what they're doing is not factually correct. Yeah. The intentionality is the distinction. Yes. I, I like misinformation, mistake. Very good. All right. Yeah. Helpful. Helpful. Uh, and disinformation, of course, intentionally. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Let's definitely talk about what happens if you're essentially a victim included in disinformation, uh, disinformation post, article, campaign, right? I, okay, excellent. All right. Um, so some basic things, you know, uh, we could be like on an individual basis as well as an organizational basis. Some simple things to help you avoid on either level, misinformation and disinformation. I think, you know, basic news literacy, you know, let's let's flesh this out, flesh this out a little bit for folks. It may be it may be covering things that are obvious, but I I think there's value in the in the basics. You know, just yeah, and and some of it really is kind of a a journalism like go back to the basics yeah. um, place that we don't all have that kind of training or background. So it's not um, I'm not saying this to say oh everybody you know knows this and isn't doing it. No, a lot of people have never had the privilege to get this information or to be trained to do to operate in this way. But I think as organizations, we already see that there's silos, there's certain staff who know certain things and other staff who don't. So that's going to still be the case when it comes to organizational data or information reports that you're putting out, et cetera. Um, but creating kind of a information center for all staff and again, not thinking, well, only these three people on the communications team who are the ones who do our presentations need to know it. Put it in a place where all staff can see, here's the deck that explains our organization and our you know, latest numbers of impact or how many people we've reached this year, right? Um, that's a number that many people on staff maybe have an occasion to say, and you want them saying the correct number, right? Um, having, uh, uh, we used to create a cheat sheet, for example, where 
N10 puts out lots of different reports and they have so many different data points in them. But what are the ones that we know the community is most interested in, regardless of which report it was in? Let's make one cheat sheet for staff that says, okay, this is the trend on this topic. And here's the number of organizations, you know, that responded in this way on this other topic in one place. Um, that way, anybody who's presenting or answering a question from a community member is all pulling data from one place. If it, a new year goes by, a new version of that data, it's updated in that document. People are still going back to the same place. They're not like, oh, let me find this year's version of this, right? They're always going to the same place. Um, and what that looks like externally, which is where the kind of misinformation to the disinformation gets connected, is making sure, just as a, a good journalist uh, would, would cite their sources, organizations need to be comfortable citing their sources too. But I think um, part of this has come from feeling like we need to be the authority on everything we say. Uh, and, and what that means is that organizations don't, you don't have the latest information on every topic under the sun, that's fine. What you're, what you're an expert on is your mission. So cite the source for the data on your page where you're making the case for what mm. you do. Is it from the census? Is it from a partner organization? Is it from a state department, you know, that, that you work with? Actually putting in where that 37% came from is going to mean that if someone out there has an agenda and they're saying, oh yeah, I've heard that 37% of people XYZ, they're not able to reference your website as part of their disinformation campaign because your website really does list, here's the link to the census where this came from. Oh, right? They're not yeah. able to modify what you're saying. You've made clear where you got your information. Otherwise, that website, you know, that article where you don't link to any sources, you don't list how that data was collected, is really ripe for interpretation. And that's really what disinformation campaigns look for. Something that's coming from a legitimate website. You are a legitimate organization. You have a legitimate website. And if it's not clear, they can use that however they want, right? They can Excellent. reposition yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Cite your sources. And, yeah. it may, and you might be the source. Of course, it right. may be, maybe your own data, maybe your own research. Might be your own annual report, but right. citation, citation. Yeah, very smart. Right. So you can't be you can't be linked back to as the source because you're giving the source of the correct information. Yes. yes. Excellent. Yes. Is there is there more? This is well. Uh, I think that yeah, there is. I don't think there needs more. to. Be. I just that, wanted to that, stop, but oh, okay. yeah, yeah, no, there no. is more. And I think <laughs> um, you know, just as we are suggesting, you cite your sources for that thirty-seven percent, maybe written on your website a place where organizations often don't think about adding their logo or their website or anything else is other pieces of content they're sharing. Um, but creating almost like a watermark, you know, a, your logo in the corner, or um, maybe if you made a little infographic to share online, and it says in the corner, this is from, you know, N10's 2020 report on X, right? Because creating content that's meant to be shared off of your website is even even more likely to be uh, picked up right and used conveniently in disinformation when it doesn't when it's when it has no anchor right when it doesn't have the watermark it just looks like a fancy stat that somebody else posted so making sure you think about anything that that you're sharing externally where it isn't on your website and you're controlling it can you add this watermark? Can you make sure that a, a source or a reference is written inside the graphic, not just in 
you know, maybe the caption that you put with it. Right. Inside that graphic. Yes. Yeah. All right. Awesome. What else? What else should we be doing? Well, I think the other piece of this is, so that's proactive, right? Let's make sure staff have the resources to say the right things. And also the content we're putting out on our website and our email out into social is cited, yeah. has the right information. That's yeah. all proactive from our side. But what do we do for everything we can't control, right? So the other side of this is monitoring. And often an organization only finds out that they, their content, their data, their imagery is part of some disinformation campaign because they got tagged or recognized by a community member who who saw that content somewhere else, right? And they were like, wait a second, you know, I recognize that photo or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we've said this probably on the first episode I was on, which was too many years ago, you know, when we were talking about any other type of social or, or online listening, but it's still the case, setting up alerts to track your organization's names and mentions online. Folks think, oh, this is great because, you know, we'll know when we're in the news. You'll also know <laughs> if somebody is, you know, trying to, to misuse your content. Um, so, so not overlooking that, especially within certain systems. So, you know, maybe you work with a certain community that uses Instagram a lot, for example, or TikTok, and you don't really use your full written out, you know, maybe you have a five word name, you know, making sure you're setting up notifications or following hashtags on those tools that use the kind of name or abbreviation or acronym or even, you know, maybe tag that would be most likely used if you were getting pulled into something. Um, because it's really going to be through that type of listening that you find your content being used. And then, of course, what do you do if you see that? Uh, I think some folks feel like like any other type of potential trust breakdown, you know, okay, we should come out really strong. We're going to make some big statement like we do not support or like, don't worry, your data has not been stolen. That doesn't necessarily convey that you understood what was happening there, right? Um, so I think instead, if you see your contents getting picked up and misused, maybe, you know, and this isn't like at the level of, of an international scene, this could be locally. Maybe some of your um, event photos and and talking points are being misused by a local representative. Right. Um, this doesn't need to be huge scale. It yeah, right. still be meaningful. Uh, yeah. Right. And so, so to be on the scale sure... of the, uh, the Israel Hamas war. But, right. It's just. But it's important. To you, but it's yes. important to you. It's still your name. It's still your reputation. And it's a perversion of your content. Exactly. It's time for a break. Are you looking to maximize your fundraising efforts and impact this giving season? DonorBox's online donation platform is designed to help you reach your fundraising goals. From customizable donation forms to far-reaching easy-share crowdfunding and peer-to-peer -peer options, plus seamless in-person giving with DonorBox Live Kiosk, DonorBox makes giving simple and fast for your donors and moves the needle on your mission. Visit DonorBox.org and let DonorBox help you help others. Now back to misinformation and disinformation. 
So one tactic that folks have used when that is the case, when, okay, your stuff is getting, you know, twisted a little bit. One option, there's a couple here. One is to flood the system. So instead of trying to add more attention to that person and try to say, no, that isn't what we said, or that isn't what that graphic is for, right? Ignore them and flood the system. So make sure that you have a correct, fully sources cited blog post on your website so that if people Google what that person just said, they're finding your correct blog post, that you have a recent social post that points to that, that clarifies this information. Again, you don't need to tag them. You don't need to say anything about them, but make sure that if people are reading what's out there and are like, what is this? And they do a search for you, they are seeing what you want them to see and not that, right? So there's one option, flood the system, make sure it's all all correct and so far as you can do it. And then the second is really not going to be seen by a lot of people. And that's contacting the the folks who are posting this. Often in disinformation, the folks doing the posting are not the ones who created the content for them to post. Um, And so they are also in a little bit of a more precarious position than whoever gave them the content, especially on a local level where it's harder to hide, like, you know, each other locally. So contacting them and saying, hey, this is not good, right? Whatever the case may be and engaging with them, um, especially saying, could we have a public engagement around this this conversation? Um, folks, organizations have turned that around and been able to, great, we had a town hall because our you know recent report was of interest but wasn't understood and now you're getting positive attention because you were able to engage that person and turn it around um of course if they say no you're wrong <laughs> we're right our content is good well you know where you stand and you can move to a, a a maybe option 2b which is then to you know go into the process of reporting those accounts reporting that content um the challenge there just so folks are already thinking about it is when we're reporting content on on the on the greater internet across social media etc folks are going to see if that content has already been used by other users if it's been shared or posted um, and so if what they're posting and you're now reporting is very similar even to your own con- content or to content that others have posted it likely will not get taken down because you know, the the content review process will say, oh, no, this is like widely used, widely known, right? Versus thinking that it's this one account's content. Um, And it's kind of a catch-22 when it comes to managing and reporting disinformation. So the the more widely it's been used, the less likely it is that you'll, that that the originator that you're talking to would, would remove it? Well, they wouldn't be the ones removing it. You're, if you're reporting it, you're asking, you know, Meta to take it down or something. Um, and in that point, they are, you're essentially reporting that user. Um, and that user and their content is all part of whatever Meta would be looking at to say, Oh, is this a nefarious thing? Is this bad? You know, and a lot of folks don't have success getting it taken down because there's there the content is similar to content that's already up maybe they weren't the ones that created it anyway so that i just want folks to know it's not just a one click oh great it's removed yeah that's why it's not step one because it it is very difficult for a lot of folks to get disinformation accounts stopped okay okay 
Um, I know you did a little reading and thinking about disinformation too. What are your thoughts? I did. Well, I, I, I was, I was on a different level. Um, I was thinking about yeah. folks trying to validate something that they might, that they, yeah, mean, that's, let's you know, talk about that. Um, all right. Well, you're, you're being very gracious. Look, so, so <laughs> but, but I don't want to deviate from our best practices that you're enumerating. Like you got, you're, you're down to level two B already. <laughs> so, all right. Well, all right. I know you want to, you, you probably feel like you've been talking a while, but everything you're saying is valuable. And you got more insight into it than I do. That's why you're our technology contributor. So mm. don't you don't you don't need to be humble. Um, <laughs> but all right. So we, we I want to know if there's a, a step three after two B. But we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, yeah. No. There's just sources like you know if if something seems a little unusual to you or I mean you you can't we, we cannot fact check everything we read. There's just right. there's just too much. But so if something seems, uh, as David Letterman used to say, a little hinky, because uh, I was just in Indiana with my wife, so I'm hinky. Hinky <laughs> is on my mind because that's where Letterman was from. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a place like uh, PolitiFact. Right. PolitiFact, they have their truthometer. Yeah. It, it's green, red, or yellow. And it, usually they're green or red. There's, there's not a lot of yellow. Yeah. Uh, so PolitiFact, I mean, that, you know, you want to go to a bona fide source, PolitiFact. Snopes has been around for a long time. Yes. And they are legitimate fact checkers. Um, if you're, if, this may come up if you're, if you're creating content that's not, uh, that, that's not based solely on your own data, but you're relying on other people's data. There's, there's something called the crap test. It's C R A A P. Um, and it is, it's, it's quite bona fide. Now, I, I was not aware of it, but uh, it got links from it, it's linked to by Texas A&M University, uh, even Central Michigan University, New Jersey Institute of Technology, Oregon State University for you, Amy, uh, Southern Utah University, University of Chicago. So there are respected universities and uh, some of them seem to be library systems uh -huh. of those universities, though, that recommend the crap test for their students. So you can just Google crap, C-R-A-A-P. It's an acronym for currency. You know, how? what's the timeliness of the information? Yeah. Relevance, authority, what's the source? The accuracy of, this, of that source overall and the purpose for which... Mm -hmm. The, the data uh, the data was posted or the purpose for which the source exists you know right. is there some nefarious agenda so currency relevance authority accuracy purpose uh the crap test to to take a look at and there are a lot of factors within each one of those yeah for determining whether data that you're relying on is valid right I really like that a couple um reactions coming up for me, especially thinking about nonprofit staff who are trying to do this or, or muddle through this. One is when you're creating content or, you know, trying to put up a blog post or a, a page, whatever letter you're writing, um, and you're looking for sources, if you aren't comfortable writing right there in the letter or right there on your website, you know, where that fact came from, then it's not a fact you can use. Um, I know we've definitely, 
talked with organizations where, you know, they're like, oh, it's the perfect stat and like the perfect, just what we want, but it's kind of like a sketchy organization or like, it's not an organization that's mission aligned. And, you know, so let's just use the stat and like, we don't need to, if you're not, yeah, open, no, you know, if you can't cite the source, then it's not a stat you can use. Right. That's intellectual, um, dishon that's intellectual dishonesty. Right. It's just like, it's like a gut check. Right. Um, yeah. So there's that. The other kind of reaction that's coming up for me is I know, you know, nothing is simple. It is complex to say, okay, well, this needs to come from quote unquote authoritative source, but there is no authoritative source in this kind of white dominant, are they a university or are they a newspaper or whatever, maybe on the topic you work on. That's okay, you know? Um, but for example, in Oregon, we found I was um, on the board of an organization that did gender equity, uh, work, especially policy work to support gender equity organizations and found that in there was not a, a report or a survey or a government census on certain data related to all kinds of factors, gender, domestic violence, etc. On, on certain topics for over 20 years. So yeah, maybe there was a stat you could find from 1989. We're not using that stat, you know? Um, and so instead of saying, okay, well, there's like nothing good. So we don't, don't have anything to sort, uh, to, to cite, or what we have is so old, we'll just reference it. No, that's how they framed a lot of their content. These stats are so old, we can't even use them, yeah. right? Yeah. And that became a talking point that made them an authority, right? So we are going to do research because it isn't out there. Um, and it created an opportunity for their website to become the authority authoritative source other organizations could link to. Hey, here is their report. Maybe it's not the same as a census, but at least it's something. The state didn't even care to report on this, right? So um, an opportunity to think about not just okay, there's a real lack of data and your organization is at a disadvantage, maybe naming that really clearly on a web page will mean that when folks go to fact check, oh, this local representative said that it's 37%, they find your website where you say, don't trust anyone who tells you there's a number, there hasn't been a survey in 40 years, right? Like, wow, uh, now you're uh, educating people, you know? Yeah, that's that's um, a very savvy turnaround. Yeah, and having you know very quick facts on our on on your missions topic, you know, on on Portland Land Conservancy, whatever it is that you do, having that quick reference page means you will come up when people do an internet search, and maybe you'll get to frame how they think about any stat or talking point they come across from somebody else. It's time for Tony's take two. Thank you, Kate. December. I know it's a critical month, right at the end of Thanksgiving and Giving Tuesday comes that important month where I know you can be looking for 25, 30, I've seen 40% like of your annual fundraising from this single month sometimes. So if that's your situation, you have my good wishes. I'm thinking about you. I'm rooting for you. 
I hope you're giving Tuesday. If you were in giving Tuesday, not that you needed to be necessarily, you could sit it out. But if you were in, I hope you did well. If you didn't do well or as well as you would have liked, brush that off. Don't let your giving Tuesday impact what you're thinking about. You know, don't don't second guess yourself for your your December strategy. Giving Tuesday stands alone. I hope you were very successful. If not, don't let it impact the coming month. You've got my good wishes. I'm like I said, I'm rooting for you. If you do everything you can, then you have nothing to be ashamed of. That is Tony's take two. Kate? Good wishes to everyone from Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Well, we've got Buku, but loads more time. So let's go back to misinformation and disinformation with Amy Sample Ward. I'm, I'm going to take us back to your best practices. Sure. Conversation. What, what else? You, you put a lot of thought into this. What else should, should we be doing if we discover that our content is misused? Yeah, one thing that's specific to you know social media profiles or accounts that you'd have that aren't on your website that I've seen some organizations do and I really like um, is they have put in their bio, and of course that's limited. You know, some accounts you have five characters and an emoji or something, but like <laughs> where you can have this information, um, I, organizations have referenced really concisely. You know, we don't post stats or we only post infographics from our own research or something that kind of gets out ahead of if their uh, if their organization's account is then getting tagged in some TikTok you know videos comment thread where people think they're referencing their stats anybody that then clicks through to that organization's bio will see oh they they couldn't have posted that because they only post x you know uh whatever it might be so that's another place to think about how you frame what your content might be is, you know, here, the, your profile on whatever, TikTok, I, I guess the Portland Land Conservancy maybe would have a TikTok, I don't know. Um, but, you know, putting in your bio, like, we are sharing tips and strategies. If you want research data, contact this email or, you know, wh however you might frame that, but making it so that even in the course of the kind of fast action of social media where people are tagging or commenting or whatever your organization gets thrown in the mix. Anybody that sees that and clicks through will know whether to think you were really part of that content or not, even just by what they land on your account with, you know? Yeah. Your account bio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and is that something, it sounds like that belongs on your website as well. Like oh, maybe, in the, maybe on the footer of every page where you have your, whatever, your tax ID number and your address. Right. Maybe a disclaimer because because this the, the trouble is so ubiquitous. I, I think it deserves, you know, it sounds like this deserves to be on every page. Well, and it's interesting that you say the ubiquitous comment because, you know, I think it's pretty similar to conversations we have with organizations, especially smaller or, or medium-sized organizations who, uh, about security, where they're like, no one cares about us. No random hacker, you know, thinks we're important. Like we're not on anybody's radar. Nobody's coming for us. And so they don't plan and they don't think about any of that until all of a sudden, 
do we have cyber insurance? <laughs> like, what do we do? And there's been a breach. Yeah. Like, they yeah. they think that it doesn't apply to them because they think like they're not an important, fancy, famous organization. But that's not why a security breach would happen, right? Um, just from a kind of accidental breach of staff doing something or from a ransomware. It's because you care about your content, not because the person hacking you does, you know, they just know that you'd pay to get it back. Yeah. Similar, similar mindset with disinformation is, yeah, who, no one, no one knows about us. No one would try to do whatever, you know, oh, that disinformation is just for the war or just for some government, whatever. No, it's for everything. There's a yeah, reason I, that people have, you know, malicious intent to shift, you know, per perception locally or, or nationally on all kinds of issues. And whether you work in homelessness or food security or animal rights, like every topic has its issues and its folks who want to take down, you know, organizations or want to shift whether money goes to that sector or not. So I'm not trying to be like, a fear monger, but it is it is worth spending some time making sure that you do have these practices in place and that you do know what you would do if something happened, you know? I think it's naive, unfortunately. It's regrettably uh, in the culture over the past probably 10 years or so, it's become naive to think that your organization is too small or your work is too benign. Your work could be incendiary to anybody. Right. And look at the the pizza, the pizza shop in Washington D.C. It's a, it's a pizzeria. Right. Well, you know who's going to attack a pizzeria? Well, but, people, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, including the guy who went there or went to. I don't know if he got yeah. to the store, but the guy who went to D.C. armed, and yeah. he was. I think he was stopped before he got to the whatever the PizzaGate place was called. I forget, but yeah, uh, yeah. So there, there is nothing so benign. I mean, you know. Uh, Animal welfare, like a no-kill right. shelter. Oh there, may, there could just be people who think that not that only not they may not be so incendiary to think that animals ought to be killed, but why is that? Why are they getting money? But right. my, but my, um, uh, you know, my, I just got laid off. Right. But the, the no-kill shelter just b expanded their, their building. Yeah. Uh, just they, they just had a campaign and raised a half a million dollars and expanded their building. But right. I just got laid off. Right. Any any cause is. Fodder right. for for any kind of you know irrational criticism, but that criticism could run pretty deep and and be dangerous. And I know that you have had some smart and insightful recent conversations about AI with Afua and Beth and George and all, and all these different people. Yeah, and I want to make ago. one bridge over to those conversations as we're talking about disinformation that some of it is also created by AI. AI is great, generative AI specifically, is great at coming up with content. That's why it was created, to make it. It also is making up fake sources. It is, is making up fake information. And so the more that people start getting used to AI tools being out in the, in the wild here and are using them themselves, the more people are going to be hopefully looking for sources and they might see something and click on it and see that it's fake because, you know, this generative AI tool made it all up. And then they come to your website and they click on a source and they see it's real. So they are going to trust that more, you know, um, and it just really, I think, underscores 
the need to make sure the content on our websites um, or out in our emails, et cetera, is really what we mean it to be. It is fact-checked, it's correct, it cites its sources because we're now putting that website up in a, in a sea of content where a lot of it is gonna be created by a robot and not, and not yeah. correct, you know? You're talking about the uh, show from June 5th, 2023. Yeah. Uh, it's called Artificial Intelligence for Nonprofits. Uh, it, we had uh, Beth Cantor, Afua Bruce, your co-author, mm -hmm. uh, George Weiner, and Allison Fine. Great. Th yes. That's the that's the Go show that listen folks and can then... listen back to. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a full explanation uh, conversation about the risks, the opportunities, uh, bad practices, uh, potentially good practices. Mm -hmm. Um, my, my bias comes out when I say, see, I yeah, say, I know. Yeah, I say bad practices, potentially, potentially good, practices. good ones. I qualified the good, but the bad I left, I left. Yeah. That's just un, like bold and underlined, you know, unvarnished, right. Bad and maybe good. Uh, <laughs> my, my bias comes out, uh, my bias comes out in that conversation too. So June 5th, uh, the show yeah. is called artificial intelligence for nonprofits. I am very concerned. I'm very concerned. Yeah. Um, Anyway, we don't need to rehash that conversation. Um, yeah. We were just uh, so. All right, all right. This is uh, this is valuable. This is valuable stuff. Nobody is um, nobody's immune. No cause. As good as you think your cause is, imagine somebody who thinks it's as evil as you think it is good. Right. Because because that person could very well exist. Probably does. It's just a matter of how incendiary that person is. Right. And I think that there's two pieces related to this that, of course, a lot of what we've just talked about are actions nonprofit staff can be taking to post content in a certain way or, you know, create resources internally, et cetera. But I also think there's two opportunities here to build better, closer relationships with other organizations so that um, even if you're not all working on the same issue. Maybe you all work in the same community, or maybe you all have a similar funder or, you know, whatever the relationship might be, but using this as saying, hey, I know that we all want there to be accurate information out there. We did a survey and we have this, you know, here's the data. I, I'm happy to share it with you so that you can trust it. Can we all agree to say it's 37% so that we are, you know, getting out the word in a more consistent way to proactively fight any disinformation that comes out later, right? People will see three different organizations are all citing the same source, all yeah. agreeing that this is the content, right? Similarly, using uh, potential, the, using the potential for disinformation as a entry point for conversations with a funder to say, we know this is a topic that not everybody supports. You support us. We're so we're so glad that you do, and. How could you support us making sure that there's accurate reporting or more more research than the limited amount we've been able to do, you know, so that more information is out there for the public? And, and again, we're proactively cutting off the influence of disinformation on this topic. Um, so I think that's an important entry point for those conversations. Even if nothing comes of it, the funder doesn't give you more funds. I wish they would, truly. Um, maybe they don't, but it's part of it's something that you've planted with them that, hey, this is a role you need to be playing. If we need accurate information out here, if we want these missions to be successful, right? So um, two, two places where 
this conversation we've just had about disinformation maybe helps you start new or different conversations with partners or funders. Yeah, yeah, and that comes that brings to mind the uh, the information gaps that you were talking about earlier. You know, the right turn turn that around into something positive and try to get funding for the research that hasn't been done since 1989. Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. What about the tech companies? Uh, let's shift a little bit. Uh, mm. I'm interested in your opinion of their responsibility. They are uh, uh, they are absolved from the responsibility that media companies, news organizations have under um, uh, the Communications Act that mm-hmm. was, uh, I think it's Article 230 or something, something like that, but mm-hmm. uh, of the, of a, of a communications, a federal, a federal statute, they're exempt from, from that because they, they claim that they're, they're merely like a bulletin board. They're right. not, they're not a content creator. They're a content disseminator, distributor. Mm-hmm. poster, distributor. So they're mm-hmm. not responsible. This is where the, this is where I think their argument breaks down. Therefore, right. they're not responsible for what gets posted on their billboard. Well, right. when I was in seventh grade, there was a billboard monitor. And, <laughs> right. you know, we took down, if it was from last week's, it was advertising last week's seventh grade dance, we took it down because right. we don't need that anymore. It's, it's, uh, that's, that's old versus disinformation, but... Uh, Obviously, um, I believe they ought to be right. held held to a much higher standard. I, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to the journalistic standard or something very very close to that. Right? Uh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I think this is a. But I'm also interested in your opinion. Yeah, this is this is unfortunately not a a new point of frustration. Of course, right? Um, folks feeling like whether it's Facebook or Twitter, or whoever else, you know, sh- sure you, the company didn't create that content, but you are allowing it to be disseminated and it is wrong. Um, You know, we get disinformation is, is kind of a Venn diagram in this context with hate speech. There's, there's this kind of out of proportion understanding or reference to freedom of expression that is that is being used often to cloud whether or not there's accountability to be taken. Um, and I think, of course, I think that the platforms need to have a level of responsibility to either prevent or then address harm when it happens because they have allowed this content to to exist and be disseminated. I think similarly, organizations should really think about, are you prepared to be responsible for harm that comes from content that you may post? And that's not to say that, you know, every time you've been posting on Facebook, it was malicious and you were doing something. But um, you know, are, are you maybe going to start using certain tools that are generative AI or something else? And are you ready for what content maybe comes out of there? Or do you want to say, Hey, we're only our humans <laughs> are writing our content about our advocacy because we know it is very important that it is a hundred percent accurate, you know, and, and, uh, we need our experts to do that. Or, um, you know, we are only going to post parts of our research when it can be posted in full. And these parts of our research are able to be posted as an individual infographic. There are definitely reports that 
easily are misinformation can be disinformation if they're posted without the full context of that report, right? And so maybe you want to say, we can't just have this random thing going on Facebook because it will easily turn into something that we we aren't necessarily ready to be responsible for. So let's post ourselves. It's not to say someone else couldn't take a screenshot and post it, but you as the organization didn't start that, right? You are saying we are posting this in full context as a full report document. Um, so just some places to think about guidelines or at least guardrails for staff in how they post and and where where they post that content. Yeah. All right. More right. More guardrails for making sure that you're not you're not becoming the bad actor. Right. Right. And and right. And you may not even you're not doing it intentionally, but you know context is 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 critical. Yeah. So, all right. So. Yeah, you got to scrutinize uh, uh, policies, right? What what's the role of uh, generative AI in your organization? If it has a role, uh, what are the what are the allowable purposes, uses, where not? You know, you don't, and you just don't want to be embarrassed as well. Uh, right. Putting aside disinformation, you know, you don't want to be that. What was that college? Um, there, there was the there was a college where the the um one of the officers posted something that was supposed to be thoughtful about a shooting at a local oh. in a local community it was a university officer and and it was just it was posted by generative ai yeah and it 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 was it was off color and right. it was it was worse than just neutral and not <laughs> it was worse uh, than not saying not, not persuasive it was poor right. and and it you know it and it created a whole, uh, you know, it created a big problem for the a big PR problem for the university, right? Um, you know, so you you don't want to you don't want you know it's your reputation. You just you need to be judicious about right who, who posts in your name. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, it's not because that means you can lock it down and control random other internet users. You can't, but. Yeah. Anyone that goes then to fact check what that random internet user posted about you will see thoughtful, carefully posted content and know, oh, that you didn't create that, right? Because that is clearly out of step with everything else they can see from you or is factually not matching what you have on your quick facts page or, or you know, whatever else. I know this has been like an hour of tips and people are like, oh my God, stop to giving me more tips. You know, I, I can only do so many things, but even if people do two of the things we just talked about, that's a, that's a good direction for getting into a better position. Yeah. Well, I think people are uh, often uh, overwhelmed when, when you're a guest because you have, so, <laughs> because you have too much value. You bring too much value. Stop, turn it off. No, oh, gosh. no, no. It's a buffet. You take what works for you. Yes. And and if 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 you don't agree that this could be a potential problem for you, then uh, at least you're making that decision informed. Right. And I hope that it doesn't. I hope that it isn't an issue. Yeah. Yeah. We, of course, we wish no ill will on anyone. Right. Uh, naturally. All right. Anything that we haven't talked about that any approaches we haven't uh, explored angles we haven't. You know, the only thing that I will say is that I think this is perfect time to be talking about this. Um, you know, it's November 30th when we're recording this, not that it's live in this moment, but 
a year from now, not even a year from now, six months from now, uh, in the US, as politics kicks up its its cycle again, every topic is potentially a topic that a person in a debate references, right? Or a candidate on TV references, or that somebody wants to put into a commercial. And that means, you know, over the next six months, you really want to make sure your content is in order, that you only have, you know, stats you stand behind on your website in case, you know, somebody's in a debate, they reference the food insecurity rate in your area. And you're like, I know that's wrong. Can you prove it wrong? Is it on your website? The correct number, right? So um, I just want to make sure that pe- not again, there's no fear in this, no anxiety, but just the timeliness is a year from now when it's election time, we want to be ready before that. So let's make sure that you have the content on your website that you want folks to be able to reference and source and well before the campaign start kicking everything up. Again, context, you're right. 2024 is an election year. Mm-hmm. Be conscious. Mm-hmm. All right. They're Amy Sample Ward, the CEO at N10 and our technology and social media contributor. Amy, thanks so much. What a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, this was a good one. They're all good. next week Gene Takagi returns with a discussion of Sam Altman ChatGPT and why they're relevant to nonprofits. if you missed any part of this week's show I beseech you find it at TonyMartinetti.com we're sponsored by DonorBox outdated donation forms blocking your supporters generosity this giving season DonorBox, the fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising platform for nonprofits. DonorBox.org. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. I'm your associate producer, Kate Martinetti. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with us next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs> <laughs>